Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Welcome back to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I am so pleased that Casey Snyder has joined me. Casey is a partner and senior vice president, a certified financial planner at the Sidoric Group of Steward Partners. He recently was recognized by the Investment News for their 40 Under 40 recognition, and he's someone who's passionate about helping people focus on the elements of their balance sheet and financial life that they can control. Those are the things which drive personal and financial success. Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Melissa. It's nice to be here. Well, we are new friends, I would say. I think like-minded individuals and um, your recognition in investment news, those, the, many of you, I'm sure, are not familiar with the distinction, the st- distinguished list of the 40 under 40, but it's, it's a really big deal. Um, so I was, I was glad to see a friend, actually several friends on the list. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. In our recent conversations, we're both going through some kind of life and goal changes. And I thought, Today would be a great day to talk about financial planning through our own personal experiences. So you can kind of see through the eyes of financial planners in making decisions. And the topic we're going to um, discuss today is kind of how you can expand or develop your lifestyle in a safe and healthy way and how to make big financial decisions. We've both recently made real estate decisions. Is that correct? We're making mm-hmm. real estate changes. Yeah, we're we're in the midst of one right now. It's not closed, so there's no congratulations in order. It's always a jinx, but we're in the midst of one right now. Yeah, so Casey's got a um, new prime that's new primary residence, right? Right. So we're in the process of um, planning to sell ours and buying a new primary residence. Uh, Perfect. Back in the state of New Hampshire, so. Still a few months out, there's still uh, some moving pieces involved, but it's it's something we've been planning for for a while, so. Great, and that um, dovetails with my family's decision to add a second um, home that is actually, a, um, we'll use as a vacation home, um, also a big financial decision. And so as we were talking about our own personal experiences, just as friends, I thought it would be great to kind of bring people behind the scenes and help them understand how you can safely make those decisions and the, you know, the, the steps of the process. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I always like to say to everybody that I um, like to maintain a very conservative balance sheet so that I can be very aggressive from an investment perspective. I think a I'm lot nodding. Just, yeah. <laughs> well, and a lot of people just assume maybe because, hey, you're younger, therefore you can take risk. And I like to correct them in terms of, no, I, I am comfortable with risk because of how conservative I am in so many other ways. And when I do take risk, it's usually a calculated risk. 
um, and one that I've prepared for. And so when I think about this housing transition, um, my wife and I have been discussing this housing transition for over a year now. And we've been lining up a lot of moving pieces, whether it be taking out a home equity line six months ago, uh, talking about our cash cushion, talking about the what ifs, and that was all prior to COVID. So a pandemic certainly threw a wrinkle into that what if planning scenario, but that's the whole reason for wanting to maintain a conservative balance sheet so that you're prepared or that you have some durability um, to your plan, to your balance sheet for when the unexpected happens. So I, I mean, if that makes sense, and it's, it's something that you and I talked about most a, a while back was just how we approach savings. And I've always approached the savings element of this is trying to carve out a 20 to 25% you know, room for savings, because if that is possible, that means you have flexibility for the, for the unknown. Something happens and now your savings rates at 5% or 10%, but you're still saving, you're still making progress uh, and you have a buffer. Yeah, you're not in the hole. I right. think the foundation of the entire conversation is talking about lifestyle. And as a financial planner, lifestyle means, you know, not only what is your quality of life, what's important to you, but it, it gets back to budget and cash flow or savings. You can kind of back into it. If you're able to save, then maybe we get need to get less into the nuts and bolts. But I remember a conversation with a young family um, engaged in their 20s, but they have really solid financial um, first steps and have, um, been, through a variety of circumstances, have a significant amount um, for their age saved. And they said, I kind of showed them retirement projections and I was like, well, we're never going to spend that much money. And I was like, you're in such good shape. You have so many options. And I think that's what everybody thinks if they really have a, um, that savings discipline is like, well, I'm never going to augment. Um, and the reality you and I, and, um, you know, in our thirties and forties know is that lifestyles do adjust and it's really important to adjust on your own terms versus waking up one day and realize you're keeping up with the Joneses and there's no money left in the bank, even though you've got the car you've always dreamed of in the driveway. Yeah. So, the, so the, it's the, uh, the lifestyle creep Yeah. that we all, you know, that we all succumb to at some state. At, at some point we all look out and go, uh Oh, wait a second. Maybe I need to reel it in a little bit. Um, yeah, and I I agree. We do, and that because there's this phenomena of lifestyle creep, and in America, you know, personal finances are hit and miss in family families' capabilities. There, I think that sometimes for people that do have the capability of saving, of discipline, etc., they don't feel permission to dream about their goals. So that's what I wanted to distinguish for those of you who have figured out how to. Um, how to address lifestyle creep or kept things under control. I don't want you to feel like it, you should be ashamed if you do have bigger financial goals that you want to accomplish. It's just a matter of will this fundamentally, fundamentally alter your other goals, your retirement plan, et cetera. Yeah. I, I, I love dreaming big. I think it's great for people to dream big. Um, but that's also where I come back to maintaining a conservative balance sheet so that I can dream big and I can think about life five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Uh, but, and then I try to, at least for me, I try to then back into it so that I don't erode or I don't jeopardize that conservative undertone, but I'm still able to make some progress. And I, and I find that that's, it's, 
not all decisions should be financial too. You know, there's that quality of life. There's that what may make financial sense may not be the right decision for one's lifestyle, one's values. Um, so I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of part art, part science. And every year our lives evolve and change. Um, yeah, you described a great quote, um, you know, about how you think about savings versus investing. So what's, what's your mantra there? Well, so I'm, so I'm borrowing this from, from an author, some Morgan Housel, who wrote a, a, a blog post a couple of weeks ago. But he, he, or the title of this post was um, Save Like a Pessimist, Invest Like an Optimist. And it summarizes everything. I mean, it really, it was so simple, um, but it makes so much sense um, in that if you can really save aggressively, if you can maintain that conservative sort of, oh my God, I need a plan for the future. But in doing so, then don't be too conservative with those savings. Good things tend to happen. If you are that pessimist in terms of your saving, what I want to talk about is how do you then get to the comfort level that is appropriate to make financial decisions? How do you know that you're making sound decisions if you're making a major purchase or a major adjustment in your life, whether that's, you know, a relocation or a spouse changing their job, the commitment to an entrepreneurial endeavor, whatever that may be. Well, so you and I talked about this before, which is, in, in, and I think for both of us, is we rely on our fiduciaries. And yes. just, to, just as a, as a uh, to familiarize everyone with the term, a fiduciary is one that has your best interest in mind. So for me, uh, I immediately, when I'm involved in a big financial decision, there's a point where I am apt to be emotionally compromised because it involves myself. And as soon as I feel like that switch gets flipped, I know that I have to immediately go to my fiduciaries. And my fiduciaries are my, are, are my partner and my parents. And so as we were working through the details of this housing transition that we're in the midst of, those were the, were the people that we relied on to double check our numbers, to go through our spreadsheets, to, to make sure that we were putting this decision within proper context of future goals of ours that they may be able to speak to without the emotional bias that, because I'm emotionally compromised. Um, so I rely on them dearly and essentially ask them to do to me what we're often counseling others with. Um, and it's hard at times, it's challenging, but it's helpful. It, it works. So, and, 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 and you mentioned something similar as yeah. it relates to your own situation, right? Yeah. My dad was my, always my first kind of financial sounding board. He was the one that before I even knew about careers in financial planning was trying to instill financial discipline in my life. And, you know, there's a whole nother episode we could do about how he emphasized independence and he, there wasn't a big safety net of open arms of like, how much do you want me to write a check for you? Um, but what I can remember my first home purchase, um, which I did when I was still single was, you know, dad was my co-pilot, um, in terms of making decisions. And, um, he helped me to figure out what I could afford and it's the same today. So when we, we've made one home purchase before this second home in our marriage, Jeff and I, and um, you know, the conversations were first between each other. Cause you don't always, you know, with the first, 
in a partnership or couple is like, okay, are we on the same page? And, and we each bring our own money perspective there. So that's, that's one hurdle. And then second was a conversation with my dad and a conversation with a business partner, Sherry Stevens. And, you know, it, it is helpful. I give an update to Sherry of our financial situation each year. And she sits down with Jeff and I and kind of goes over, how do I feel like you're doing? I want a third party perspective who's interested and has my best interests at heart, but is not me to communicate with both me and Jeff. It's not, it's not just a, Hey, Melissa, go ahead and do it. It's a Melissa and Jeff. Here's the implications. Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Well, and you just touched on something too, as it relates to your conversation with, you know, with Jeff and being on the same page before you even head down the path of making these big decisions. And so Ray and I, as, as we were heading down this path together, um, what sometimes made sense from a financial perspective, Ray was very quick and right to say, look, that doesn't make sense for our family. Now, whether it be the layout of a home, whether it be the yard, whether it be there were elements of a home where while all the numbers in my spreadsheet that made me feel comfortable looked good, Ray was saying, nope, this isn't going to work. It's not the right fit. And so the two of us together made a great team independent from one another uh, I'd say we'd both be apt to make a poor decision. <laughs> so you never know, but what we're describing is what you and I do each day with clients, right? So we don't, um, I think in most cases, I won't say every case, but in most cases you want somebody who's going to be brutally honest with you also be rooting for you. Um, and willing to not take control in your decisions. So hopefully they, in your relationship with your financial planner, you've been educated along the way. And so you're not coming and asking for permission. You guys are idea partners brainstorming together to say, is this possible or what are the implications? And in some cases, the answer is no, but but if you, you know, kind of have been um, working overtime in your financial plan, it may be just not yet instead of just an absolute not well, and also, I mean, once in, it's really important to have that advocate, to have that partner, to have somebody that is rooting for you, like you said, because the process in itself, whether it be a housing transition or, or any major life event, is emotional. Uh, you know, it's easy for me to counsel on a, on, a, on a housing transition from afar. Living through it personally is a whole different story. So, so true. So a reminder of... It, it, it's so important to be collaborative, to be supportive in trying to find ways to make it work while also being realistic. And something that you mentioned earlier is putting it in the context of all the other things that are important to you. How is your life going to evolve? Do you have room for those other priorities that haven't come up yet or haven't popped up yet? Um, that, um, especially when it comes to real estate, since we're talking about um, homes, I think that that is a big one, because if you get over your skis in terms of your, um, of your house, of your, your real estate footprint, everything else can seize up. And yeah, the numbers can, may work, but if you are committing to something that really is the biggest stretch, I assure you that if you move into the bigger neighborhood, you're going to want to go on vacations, all of your neighbors and your kids' school friends, et cetera you know, have a trip a year. And if you can't even afford that, if you're really like, you know, managing the pennies at the end of the month and not able to increase your 401k savings, et cetera, it's just one of the easiest ways to shoot yourself in the foot. And that's where that lifestyle creep, you kind of put the lifestyle ahead of your financial plan. And it's really difficult to catch up. It's possible done it with people, 
but it's, it's hard and it's stressful. It's hard on relationships. Yeah, it was, I mean, so when we were looking for our next home, I'll be the first to admit that we looked at a home that when I went back and I fell in love with the home pretty quickly, but when I went back and plugged it into the spreadsheet and then took all the numbers from the spreadsheet and plugged it into our plan, it really blew up our plan because it was going to take away from all the other priorities that, that, that we have now and that we'll have, especially with two young kids. We have a soon to be five-year-old and a 16-month-old. And so we really do need to be thinking ahead five, 10 years on how our priorities are going to evolve and whether or not we've carved out enough room to allow for that. Um, so what's in your spreadsheet? What are you, so I look for me, my net worth, my balance sheet is, is key. And what I'm looking for at the top of that balance sheet is the most liquid assets. I really want, even after major purchases, uh, cash is my friend. And I want, that gives me the ability to invest, just like you said, aggressively. I'm, I'm a little different because so much of my revenue is tied, you know, my family income, my contribution, um, Jeff's is different, but my contribution is tied to the stock market. But what's in your spreadsheet? So my spreadsheet really emphasizes and gets into detail on cash flows. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it is a very detail-oriented spreadsheet and off to the side of it, I created a sort of formula that accounts for potential uh, tax changes. Perfect. And and also savings rates. And so that I can plug in um, how my income may change and then how that ripples through in terms of what total percentage of our income are we apt to save. And then also if tax rates were to adjust on us, is there still a buffer for us to continue to save to reach our goals? And so we have our balance sheet. I spent a lot of time on the, on the cash flow statement, though, as it relates to this housing transition, because of how it does set the foundation, like you said, for the next 20 plus years to come. And this is a really big decision for us. And so when I think ahead and I think about the what if scenarios, the what if scenarios are a change in income and tax changes. Mm-hmm. Those are the two big ones for, for, for me. And so it was important for me to build in that tax chart so that I can show if tax rates go up by 5%, what does that do to our lifestyle? How do we and need to adjust? So. I learned from a, um, she's a coach with a psychology background one time who asked me um, in a different situation, what if the worst case scenario happens? Will you be okay? Because I was stressed out about you know work stuff and and her question was, okay, well, okay, what's the worst you can think of? And what if that happens? And so, you know, that kind of scenario testing, I love the um, scenario testing of like, just what does your life look like if, if nothing changes and this, is, this, um, this goal is, is part of your plan? And then also, what is the worst case scenario? Like this year, it's hard to see worst case scenarios coming. Like, what if the value of that property went down by 50%? Well, that's two, 2008. Um, in 2020, how many people were thinking a pandemic would shut the, you know, a much of our economy for much of this year. So you can't always know what that worst case scenario is, but what you need to um, consider is, do I, am I stretching so much that I'm, I have to have everything perfect for this to work out and then, you know, step back from there and say, how safe am I? Yeah. So the two scenarios just or that I ran recently, because we're in the midst of living through a pandemic, I went back and actually ran the scenario from the from the dot com bubble mm-hmm. because it was a pronounced and slow grinding recession from a market perspective. It was really a two two and a half year sort of downturn. So I stress test that scenario, 
Uh, and then I also went back and actually looked at tax brackets and stress test tax rates uh, going up by five to 10%. Yep. Uh, because of underlying concerns surrounding the evolution of the tax code. Um, so those were the two things that I really looked hard at uh, before we made our decision. And that for me, and I know this is the same case for you, if you're working with a financial planner, you typically have the ability to scenario test. First, you have to have a good sense of your numbers in general. So if you're just kind of flying blind and saying there's more money left at the end of the month, or I think this works, um, you know, for those big decisions, you may be left wanting to have had more information. Um, but hopefully this conversation has been a way for you to look inside the mind of a financial planner as they do give themselves permission to make lifestyle adjustments, just not lifestyle creep. And the difference between the two, as far as I'm concerned, is control, just like you said in, you know, kind of your bio. One of the things that I work really hard on, and you mentioned it in the bio, is trying to control the elements of our financial life that we have control over because there's so many things we don't. Um, and that doesn't mean that we have to restrict our, our big dreams and our goals and it, it, whatever they may be. But the more time we spend sort of in the, in, on the grunt work, that's what I call it. It's, it's in the numbers, in the trenches, understanding cash flows, understanding our exposures, uh, the easier it is to navigate the uncertainties whenever they occur. And that helps me with my lifestyle. That helps me feel comfortable when things aren't. Uh, I think I mentioned to you, I find a lot of comfort and solace in spreadsheets when I'm anxious mm -hmm. about things. It's helpful. Uh, it also extracts the emotion out of it at times when I need that. So, Yeah, several times in my life, um, similar, uh, some of it's in my head and in different pieces. It's not all in spreadsheets. But, you know, when the pandemic started, I was able to tell my team immediately, look, we've got the cash in the business that we need for payroll for the next two years. That reduces anxiety that lets us do that lets us do the work that we need to do and whether it's in your business life or your personal life when you don't have that comfort whether and the grunt work creates the comfort for you casey if you don't have that it doesn't matter if you've fulfilled your dreams you're so uncomfortable in your own skin because there's extra stress and fear that you're not even able to enjoy it. So the important thing is to have the safety net of knowing you've gone through the process. And I'll just take that, I mean, so run or add to that. Back in March, our communication to clients at the, during the onset of all of this was to look out to 2022, work your way backwards and account for the near term. Because if you don't have the near term accounted for exactly what you said, it's hard to look beyond. So knowing that the New York terms accounted for, it allows for that sort of peace of mind to be able to continue to operate with rational thought and really continue to make progress. So uh, well said. Well, I, I I'm sure we'll have another conversation recorded in the future because there are a bunch of ideas being exchanged back and forth. But I really appreciate you being a guest, Casey. Love the discussion. And I'm excited to hear about when this house project is all done. I want to <laughs> Maybe make a trip to New Hampshire to see how it looks. You are welcome anytime. <laughs> I appreciate uh, being a guest today. Thank you. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.